Hello, and welcome to season six of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. I'm your host, Francis Johnson, and I'm so glad to have you back as we kick off another series of great conversations with our Eccles community. This season, we are continuing our discussion of equity, diversity, inclusion, and empathy by focusing on the issue of economic inclusion. A key part of building an economically inclusive experience for ourselves and for others is understanding what is actually happening in the economy. We all hear economic trends and forecasts in the news, but do we really know what they mean and how they should impact our decisions? Here to help us dispel some of the mystery is Young Yu Ma. Young Yu is Chief Investment Officer at BMO Wealth Management in the U.S. He joined the organization in 2016, bringing a dynamic combination of academic achievements and industry experience to the investment strategy team. As Chief Investment Officer, Young Yu is responsible for guiding strategic and tactical asset allocations for client portfolios and leads a team that conducts macroeconomic and market analysis. Prior to joining BMO, Young Yu was a finance professor at Lehigh University, and prior to that, he worked for a global consulting firm. Young Yu earned a BA in economics and political science at Williams College in Massachusetts and earned a PhD in finance right here at the David Eccles School of Business. Young Yu, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Francis. It's great to be here. And as you said, I earned my PhD there at the Eccles School, so it's great to be speaking with the community here. We're so glad to have you with us today and as part of our Eccles community. Young Yu, as this season we're talking about economic inclusion, and in particular, we're talking about some of the barriers that might prevent people from being full and confident participants in our economy. And I think that one barrier is that a lot of us might not actually understand some key economic terms, the news we hear, even though we hear these terms and this news almost every day. So to get us started today and for this season, can you walk us through some of the key economic terms we should all understand? Give us the the economy 101. Yeah, that's a great point that to understand a lot of these things, you have to sort of know some of the lingo and some of the jargon that's used and understand what people are referencing. And it is important that as a starting point to learn some of this so that there is that feeling of, of understanding and inclusion and comfortability with the financial decisions that you're making in your individual life. So I think that's a great point, a great topic. And I'll say, let's start with the first one, which has been very important for the last year or two, which is interest rates. And interest rates in the Federal Reserve, a lot of people talk about what's happening with interest rates, and it seems like this nebulous impact on the economy. I would say it's first important to understand that there's a big difference between short-term interest rates and longer-term interest rates. When the Federal Reserve talks about changing interest rates, or when people talk about that, or when the Fed does that, it's just a short-term rate that the Fed actually controls. So we know that the Fed has raised rates over the past year many times, taking it from levels close to zero all the way to above 5%. And one thing we expect in 2024 is that the Federal Reserve at some point will actually start to lower interest rates. But what's important is to understand that this just refers to short-term interest rates. The changes in longer-term interest rates 
that might impact, say, the 10-year treasury yield, that's really determined by the market. It's impacted to a degree by the short-term rates, but it's really supply and demand driven by market participants. And that often has a bigger effect on people than what is actually happening with the Fed. For example, home loans are much more closely tied to what's happening with those longer-term interest rates than with the Fed's short-term interest rates. Oftentimes, there's a relationship, but the longer-term ones are what matters the most. Similar for car loans, auto loans that people might be taking out. Again, those are more impacted by the longer-term rates. So often what's important as a first understanding when people are talking about interest rates, not just what the Fed is doing or if people talk about interest rate changes in broad terms, but actually specifically what's happening to the specific interest rates that might impact someone's life, like home mortgage rate or an auto loan rate, those can change in different ways depending on the market dynamics. So it's important to understand that not everything, even on a topic such as interest rates, is just one monolithic interest rate. There are a lot of different interest rates that impact people's lives. So I think that's a good place to start because that's so prominent in the news. And probably another important place to start is inflation. And that's certainly been a major topic the past year. And oftentimes when you see inflation talked about in the news, it's not clear what inflation numbers people are talking about. People often talk about the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, which is the personal consumption expenditures measure of inflation. Even the consideration when people talk about the change in inflation, oftentimes what's referenced is the year-over-year change. So the change from, say, January of 2024 relative to January of 2023. But oftentimes, if we're looking at the trend, what matters is not the year-over-year change, but the monthly change, because the monthly changes have actually been coming in quite favorably and much lower than the 12-month changes, because as we know on any given month, if we're just looking at the 12-month changes, 11 of those 12 months are already baked in the inflation numbers. So really, when we're looking at the trends and trying to project out what's likely to happen, we're really focusing on more the shorter time frame of what's happened more recently to see what those dynamics are. So there's a lot even with inflation that goes on that's useful to understand for people as well. But I would say those are probably the two big ones to start with. Well, I'd love to go back for a minute to interest rates because this is something that I didn't know until you said it, that the long-term interest rate, which is not what we hear about when we hear about the Fed raising interest rates, is actually what impacts or should impact our decisions more than a short-term rate. So for example, how I thought about it before was that if I want to buy a house, I shouldn't buy a house now because the Fed has raised short-term interest rates up to a place much higher than where they were before. So I should wait until that short-term interest rate comes down. But it sounds like what you're saying is that there are actually other factors that influence the cost of my house, the cost of my loan even more. So I'm hoping you can expound a little bit, Young Yu, about how some of these economic indicators should influence our buying decisions or these decisions that we're faced with every day. Is now the right time to buy a house? Do I need to get a Costco membership so my groceries aren't so expensive, right? What do these indicators mean for our economic choices? Yeah, that's a great question and a great way to frame it. So by and large, the longer term interest rates are what affects the mortgage rates more. Because if you think about what's happening, if 
the typical mortgage in the United States is a 30-year fixed rate. Now, you can take out a 15-year fixed rate. You can take out an adjustable mortgage, which were more common in the early 2000s. But the most common one is the 30-year fixed rate. And that's a longer-term interest rate. So it stands to reason that those longer-term mortgages would be more impacted by the longer-term interest rates. Now, actually, there is a bit of nuance there and important understanding because uh, a lot of people, or at least some people now, are opting to choose uh, an adjustable rate mortgage, which is more tied to the short-term rates. The benefit of that is that if interest rates come down, the short-term interest rates come down more sharply, then they would actually benefit from lower a lower interest rate over time. But there's also a great risk to that because if interest rates go the other direction, if a, a year or two from now, inflation reemerges and interest rates start going up again, then that same person would be at risk for higher rates and, and larger payments. So in terms of the decision-making, most people do choose a fixed rate mortgage so that they can have that certainty and security of knowing how much they're going to have to pay for the entire life of the mortgage. And you can think about it as a time matching, for example. The longer the loan period, the more it's going to be tied to longer term interest rates. And I think that's probably a, a good way to think about it. I think that a lot of people, these big decisions like that, it's more about lifestyle and affordability and understanding really. And the decisions that are being made, are they comfortable with them? Do they understand all the different aspects? Because there are possibilities such as refinancing if interest rates go down, even if you have a fixed mortgage. So uh, there's a lot that goes into it, but the more people know, the better decisions they can make along these lines. I love what you say that we just have to make decisions that we're comfortable with, right? And information is a huge part of that, but also what do I need for my life right now? What can I afford? And what do I feel okay about regardless of what might happen in the future that as hard as we try, we can't really predict. And as much as we know, we can't really predict. Young you, I think another big decision facing a lot of people listening to the podcast, our alumni, certainly our students, is this question of the job market. And what kind of job do I look for? What kind of salary do I bargain for? For some of our alums, when is the right time to maybe look for a new job or make a career pivot? Talk to us about some of the indicators in the market that might give us some information about that type of decision. Yeah, that's right. It's a very important consideration in, in what's happening in the labor market and also something that is even going back to what we started the show with in terms of understanding key aspects of the economy. The labor market is certainly one of them. And one of the biggest indicators that we follow is published weekly. It's actually called the weekly initial unemployment claims. And what that is, essentially, it's tracking on a weekly basis how many people have filed for unemployment for the first time. So initial filers, not the first time in their life, but the first time for that week. So not ongoing unemployment roles, but the first time filers. And that's a good indication of what corporations are doing, how easy or difficult it is to find a job, how much companies are, are pulling back and perhaps being concerned about their own prospects for profitability and considering reducing their hiring levels or workforce levels. So that's an important indicator that comes out weekly. So it's nice to have a pretty frequent data point that gives a good read on what's happening in the labor market. So that's one of our major 
data points that we consider. And right now, the good news is it's still relatively healthy, despite the Federal Reserve having raised interest rates throughout 2023, despite some degree of slowdown that we think is going to be happening in the first few months of 2024, uh, we still see the labor market is relatively healthy. So that's part of the stability that's taking place right now in the economy is that a healthy labor market. But what people should be thinking about, and myself being a former finance professor and, and working with a lot of students, one thing that I would always coach students about is early on in your career, by far what matters is the experience you get in a particular job. You know, whether or not you get an extra few thousand dollars or whether salary is a little bit more or a little bit less is uh, not going to impact your long-term trajectory. But in those early years in your career, having a good mentor, building a good foundation, learning a lot of skills and knowledge that can then benefit you later in your career when you do actually get into the higher earning years, having those that skill set, that knowledge that you built up early in your career is going to be tremendously valuable. I think that's great advice, and it takes some of the pressure off, right? <laughs> Speaking for myself personally, I think part of what's stressful about the economy and economic things is feeling like one mistake will just derail me for the rest of my life, whether it's derail my career, derail my finances. But as you've said, there is a lot of nuance, a lot of things to weigh, and even in large financial and economic decisions, a lot of opportunity to course correct and adjust as things in our life change and as things in the economy change as well. Absolutely. Young Yu, I'm hoping that as we talk about this nuance and the news in particular, weighing these different factors that influence the economy, sometimes what we hear is only focused on one thing, and that thing can be kind of sensationalized. So maybe everything else is humming along and is looking pretty good, but short-term interest rates are going higher, higher, higher. And so that's all we hear about. And it feels cataclysmic and catastrophic and makes it seem like everything else is going badly when that's not the case. So talk to us about how we can be sort of more informed consumers of the news and how can we get an accurate sense of what's actually happening in the economy, not just the gloom and doom that we hear? Yeah, that's a great question. It is certainly something that's very challenging, both at the individual level and even for professionals, because part of what the news does is sensationalize certain developments are taking place and what we've seen over 2023 in the markets, something that was very prominent is that the markets would latch on to a certain narrative or news theme for a few months and just run with it. And it really dominate the both the news headlines, but also the market dynamics for a couple of months until something shifted and something new then dominated, perhaps in a different direction. So you can get you know these very sharp swings both in the news narratives and what's taking place in the market that don't really have a strong tie to the medium or longer term trajectory of the economy. What's important to think about when you know we're making sort of medium or longer term investment decisions and thinking about how to look for opportunities or where to invest, 
a part of that consideration is, is a general understanding of how much risk is actually in the economy that can impact markets. Now, you know, we see a lot of things taking place that are concerning at certain levels, but are not necessarily impactful for markets. We've seen that with the war in Europe, the war in the Middle East hasn't really derailed markets, even though there might be risk of that happening. It may have had a shorter term impact, but not a longer term impact. And most of us investors really want to think about the longer term. So when we're positioning for the long term, part of the consideration is not to be frightened out of longer term positions. If people have an investing program that they're working with, actually, sometimes when there's a pullback in the markets, it's beneficial because you can now buy at lower prices as long as you have are able to have a longer term outlook. Now, that could be different for someone who is in retirement or really has more immediate needs for their money. But for most people that have sort of consistent retirement allocations that they're making, 401k allocations or IRA allocations, really that consistency is more important than being swayed by what's happening with the headlines. Certainly, there's an element of trying to understand whether there's sufficient risk in the economy to really lead to a major downturn. The last time, of course, we had a major downturn was during the early months of COVID, but before that was a financial crisis in 2008, 2009, and before that was the dot-com bust in 2001, 2002. If we're thinking about, you know, we're talking about 25 years here, essentially, of market history, and we've had three major downturns, and just thinking back on, on what it's taken to lead to a major downturn, you can see that if those are the three major downturns that we've had, they're very significant events that were in play, right? Obviously, we know what happened during COVID, but that was short-lived because of government stimulus and the ability to try to stimulate our way and offset some of those factors. But in terms of the financial crisis and also in terms of the dot-com bust, those were very major imbalances in the economy that needed to be corrected. So I think when investors, for most investors, it doesn't pay or it's not favorable to try to time sort of short-term, small changes, what's the Fed doing this month versus what it might do in two months. You know, the, the big thing is really keeping a consistent investment program and being aware of times when there might be bigger events that are taking place, such as what we had with the dot-com bust or such as with the financial crisis, when it might have made sense in a, on a bit of a medium-term basis to think about where someone's risk is being allocated and not to be in overly risky investments during those times. But you can see there are a lot of years in between those periods, many years, where even though the markets had day-to-day, month-to-month, or even quarter-to-quarter volatility, the markets held up just fine. And you know, looking at a medium-term perspective did quite well. And on a longer-term perspective, even taking all those events into account did quite well. So a lot of it is about one's time frame that they're working with. And if people are really trying to understand when there might be greater risk in the economy, they shouldn't be thinking about, for most investors, thinking about smaller risk events, because those tend to just work themselves out over shorter periods of time. But the longer term risks or bigger risks that might be building in an economy are something that investors can try to pay attention to, to make sure their portfolio is aligned with their willingness and ability to bear that kind of risk. 
It seems to me, young you, like your investment advice is very similar to your career advice, which is let's take a longer view. As you think about the investments that you make for your clients and their assets and portfolios, what are you watching for to make a determination about when is a good time to invest and where is a good place to invest? For many listeners, the biggest asset they have is their human capital. And yes, if someone's retired or later in their career, maybe they've built up a huge nest egg and their biggest asset is the investments that they have paid off over time. But for most people, let's say under the age of 40, your biggest asset that you have is your human capital. And investing in yourself is also very important. Investing in your knowledge, investing in the skills that you have, building those out consistently over time so that you're able to capitalize on those in your mid and later career. So I don't think we want to underestimate that as an investment. And we should think about it that way. People want to do things they enjoy and and invest in themselves in ways that bring enjoyment to their lives. But investing in yourself and your skills and capabilities is definitely something that is of primary importance. Now, I'm not I'm not necessarily advocating that everyone take the route that I took, which is seven years of graduate school, (laughs) getting a PhD to invest in themselves. But that's more of an extreme example of investing in oneself. But everyone can invest themselves on a daily basis, right? I think that daily action or consistent action in terms of building out one's knowledge and skill set or reading up on topics that could be beneficial to them or learning skills, whether it's presentation or communication skills or technical skills, any of the above, depending on what fits with their interests and career trajectory. I think that is first and foremost, the investment that people should be thinking about when they think about investments. But now to get to your other question, how do I look for investments or things we recommend to clients? Really, it can take a few different flavors, but certainly investing in equity markets overall, and that refers to stocks, whether it's in the U.S. or internationally, one favorable aspect of the structure of investing in stocks is that when you take on risk, the stocks in the marketplace are priced in a way that should benefit you over time for taking on the risk of ownership. Now, that doesn't mean in any given year or in any given stock or any given investment that it can't turn out unfavorably. It certainly can. Everybody knows that there's risk involved. But the reason that people still invest in the stock market or in companies or in mutual funds or whatever vehicles is because over time, there's a risk premium that plays in your favor over time. So you should benefit over time by investing in the equity markets or even the fixed income markets as well, investing in bonds as well. I'm so glad you mentioned, Young Yu, how important it is to invest in ourselves. And I think as we think about this broader topic that we've been talking about last season and we're continuing this season about equity and diversity, inclusion, and in particular, this Echo School value of empathetic global citizenship. Those are all things that we learn by investing in ourselves and then investing in other people. It's really the experiences that we have at the Eccles School, in our jobs, in our communities, and taking those opportunities to 
get to know people outside of our comfortable zone, getting to understand that broader set of experiences that help us develop that empathy that only make us more successful financially, certainly as our careers progress, but just as people in our communities. So I'm so glad you mentioned that. I do, however, have another money-related question, (laughs) (laughs) which is something that we'll talk a little bit later this season is this idea of investing early and that the earlier we can start really building wealth, the better off we'll be. Talk to us a little bit about your top piece of advice for someone who's just starting to invest their money. And I think we've touched on a lot of it, right? Taking a long-term view, certainly this advice to look for undervalued or underappreciated assets. But if you are talking to someone who is just having difficulty stepping forward in confidence, making that first investment choice, what's your top piece of advice to them? Top piece of advice, certainly, as you said, is to get started. Start early. The longer someone is invested, the more the power of compounding works out over time. You can build out a spreadsheet and look at the numbers, and it's a dramatic difference for someone who's been, say, investing for 50 years of their life versus someone who's been investing for 20 or 30 years. The compounding effect over time is just very substantial. So that's certainly important to get started. But in terms of what you said, That's right. People can be intimidated or maybe there are other things in the budget that are taking priority at at this time. And certainly that can be the case, but it's probably important to prioritize being able to start investing early and not to be overly worried that you have to get the perfect investment started off right away. There are a lot of low cost solutions to just invest in a broad basket of equities, whether it's a combination of US and international equities. There are ways to invest in what are called ETFs, that stands for exchange-traded funds that track different indices like the S&P 500 index. You don't have to buy 500 companies. You can buy a very low-cost ETF, which tracks these 500 companies. And just by doing that, you can get exposure to the overall U.S. economy and the growth of the equity market in the U.S. And it's a very simple way, a very low-cost way to do that without needing to have a great amount of investing knowledge. It's a good way just to keep it simple while getting started. But I do think that it's important to, even in budgeting, to think about that as a part of the budget, you know, dedicated amount that someone is putting aside in their 401k or amount that they're saving for investments, that thinking about that as a budget item, I think is an important way to think about it because you can't just start thinking about it once you're 45 or 50. It's not that it's too late, but you will have gained much, much more benefit. Even what you might think are small dollars starting early compound over time, in addition to the compounding effect that they might have with interest rates, the stock market over time has had very favorable returns. So you're compounding at reasonably high levels and it's great to get that started early. So you get that maximum benefit out of that. So I would say that starting early, considering a budget item the same way you would consider entertainment a budget item and thinking about that as an important part of your your financial life is probably a good way to get started. 
Well, Young Yu, we've talked today about how there's no crystal ball. There are so many nuances in the economy as a whole, in the different parts of the economy. We shouldn't base our economic decisions on sort of trying to guess what might happen far into the future. But as we look ahead into 2024, what should we be watching for or be prepared for in terms of the economy as much as we can know? There are two things to think about. One is the economy as it affects people's day-to-day economic decisions. And the other is, I've been talking about investing. And it's important to remember that the stock market is referred to as a discounting mechanism. So it actually tries to look ahead, say, six, nine, 12 months to think about not what's happening today, but what's going to happen ahead of us and tries to price that in today, price those future developments in today to the extent that there's some degree of an understanding or lens on the direction that things are going. So it's important to understand, even if we think, which we do, with that the economy will slow in the coming months, slow down a bit. We don't think there's going to be a recession. We don't think there's going to be a hard landing. We don't think the labor market is going to crash or unemployment's going to shoot up dramatically. But we do think there's going to be some degree of softening. Some of the strength in hiring that we saw in 2023 isn't going to be quite as strong Some of the spending trends early in in 2024 for consumers won't be quite as strong. But that doesn't mean just because we think there's going to be a slowdown for a few months that the stock market necessarily is going to go down with it because the stock market is continually trying to look ahead of that and what comes next. And we do think that by mid-year, we're going to see stabilization in some of those trends that the labor market, although it might not be quite as strong as it was in 2023, is not going to crash either. It's not going to, unemployment's not going to shoot up. We're still going to have relatively healthy and stable labor markets. So that's one thing that, as we're thinking about both the evolution of the economy and the markets, what we're going to be looking for are those signs of stabilization, stabilization in consumer spending, stabilization in the labor market, in the indicators such as I mentioned before, weekly initial unemployment claims that that doesn't jump up excessively high. Seeing the corporations aren't pulling back too much, that they're able to sort of maintain a consistent hiring and not have these massive rounds of layoffs and the need to cut their budgets and cut their spending and batten down the hatches. So those are the kind of things we'll be looking for to see signs of stabilization that we expect to be prevalent and apparent by the spring of 2024 that will help us then in the latter half of the year to have a good foundation and good base when the Fed does start to cut interest rates, which we do think will happen in 2024 as inflation continues to come down, that that will put us in a better footing that we can then see a reacceleration of growth into the latter part of the year. So that's a high level view of what we're, how we're expecting the economy to play out over 2024 and how the markets play out. There's always some type of a volatility or disruption or, or bumpiness around that, depending on what the Fed's messaging might be in any given month, what certain economic developments might be, or how the data might come in in one month versus another month. But again, we're not trying to react too much to those month-to-month variations and really looking at more, is that underlying stability still present in the economy so that we can achieve the soft landing that people are now talking about and that those elements remain in place rather than a more difficult trajectory for the economy starting to evolve. So it's the big factors that I think are important to focus on. 
Young Yu, I'm so grateful to you for walking us through all of this and giving us such a great reminder. I think that we should know as much as we can and understand as much as we can, but also make the decisions that make the most sense for us, for our families, and for our communities. I'm so grateful to you for being with me today and helping us kick off this new season of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Francis. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. If you'd like to hear more from Young You, join us for our next Eccles Alumni Network Forum on February 1st from noon to 1 p.m. Young You will be here on campus in conversation with Adam Looney, Executive Director of the Mariner S. Eccles Institute, to discuss the 2024 market and economic outlook and considerations amidst global tensions, political choices, and the year ahead. You can register to attend the event in person or via live stream at eccles.link backslash winter alumni forum. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast, and I hope you'll join us. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and invite a friend or fellow alum to listen with you too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Eccles Alumni for all the latest news from your Eccles Alumni Network. Until next time, Eccles Business Buzz is a production of the David Eccles School of Business and is produced by University FM.